First Chronicles chapter 21 and verse number 7. It says, And God was displeased with this thing. The thing that he was displeased with was David had numbered the people. And it wasn't so bad to know how many people there were, but David did it out of pride. He wanted to know what God had, or what, what David had done as a leader. And so it says this thing displeased God, and therefore he smote Israel. If we scroll on down to verse number 13, David said unto Gad, I am in a great strait. Let me now fall into the hand of the Lord, for, a great, for great are his mercies. Let me not fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel, and there fell of Israel 70,000 men. And God sent an angel unto Jerusalem to destroy it. And as he was destroying, the Lord beheld, and he repented him of the evil, and said to the angel that destroyed, It is enough, stay now thine hand. And the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. And David lifted up his eyes and saw that the angel, saw the angel of the Lord stand between the earth and the heaven, having a drawn sword in his hand, stretched out over Jerusalem. I want you to get a picture of this. 70,000 people have just died in, in just a very, very short period of time, and the angel has come to destroy Jerusalem. And David sees this giant angel standing over Jerusalem, sword drawn. You want to talk about an intense moment. The sword is drawn. And it says that David and the elders of Israel who were clothed with sackcloth, they fell upon their faces. And David said to God, Is it not enough that I've commanded the people to be numbered? Even I, it is, it, even I it is that have sinned and done this evil. But as for these sheep, what have they done? Let thine hand, I pray thee, O Lord, be upon me. And my father's house be not on the people that they should be plagued. And the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David, that David should go up and set up an altar. Somebody say, set up an altar. Unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. And David went up at the saying of Gad, and he spake in the, which he spake in the name of the Lord. And Ornan turned back and saw the angel, and his four sons with him hid themselves. And now Ornan was threshing wheat. So now David sees this giant angel. Ornan sees this giant angel that's about to destroy Jerusalem. And his sons, they hide themselves. David came to Ornan and looked. And, and Ornan looked and saw David and went out of the threshing floor and bowed himself unto David with his face to the ground. And David said to Ornan, Grant me or sell me the place of this threshing floor that I may build an altar therein unto the Lord. Thou shalt grant it me for the full price that the plague may be stayed from the people. And Ornan said unto David, Take it. To the, now, we're about in the middle of this intense situation. Giant angel, sword drawn. David says, sell me this threshing floor. And they start to negotiate in reverse. Because David says, sell me this. And Ornan, he says, hey, hey man, take it, take it, take it. He's looking at the angel over his shoulder with the sword drawn. Take it. David says, no, 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 I'm not going to take it. I will not Take it. I will pay you the full price for it. 
Because Ornan said, take it to thee, let my lord the king do that which is good in his eyes. Lo, I'll give you the oxen for burnt offerings, the threshing instruments for wood, and the wheat for meat offering. I give it all. And King David said to Ornan, nay, but I will verily buy it for the full price, for I will not take that which is thine for the Lord nor offer burnt offerings without cost. In Second Samuel, it records it this way. He said, I will surely buy it of thee at a price, neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings and called on the name of the Lord. And the Lord answered him from heaven by fire upon the altar of burnt offering. And the Lord commanded the angel, and he put his sword again into the sheath thereof. I want to talk to you tonight for a little while, and I know it's been a long reading, but I want to talk to you tonight about the deceptive appeal of a convenient altar. There's a deceptive appeal to a convenient altar. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your presence. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, it's, it's so good. We could go home right now just from reading out of your word. But I pray tonight that you will anoint me to speak exactly what you want spoken. Open our ears to hear what the Spirit would say to us. Speak freely to us tonight, O oh God, and we will receive it. God, by your help and grace, we will be obedient to your word and receptive to your word. In the name of the Lord Jesus, God, help us tonight not to be contentious over what you want us to do. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing for such a long period of time. To many... An altar is just steps leading up to the platform in the front of a church. Or it's a bench on which to kneel. Whenever we started the church in Lewisburg, uh, I don't know how long we'd been there until Bishop Bounds came and he preached there. And we had set up in that little storefront. And uh, we didn't have a platform. You know, Brother Pat, we just had a podium and some instruments, but we didn't have a platform. Uh, and... Uh, Whenever he got there, he said, you've got to have an altar in this place. And so he, he said that while he was preaching. And the next week, some guys in the church had built us a couple of altar benches uh, to set there in the front of the building. Uh, we may have the same kind of setup when we go to Montgomery. But if somebody decides to build an altar, please don't build it out of treated wood because it tends to get sticky after a while. Uh, he said, you can't have a church without an altar. To some people, the altar is a place for wedding vows or baby dedications. To others, it's a more sacred place where we come to pray and to seek God, to dedicate ourselves more completely. Maybe it's the place where you repented of your sins or where you were filled with the Holy Ghost. But the altar is so much more than a place. It's a spiritual idea that is visibly depicted in the Old Testament. It would be easy to argue from Scripture that there is no physical altar in the New Testament. Now, if that just blew your mind, please just take a, take a breath because we might have some more minds blown here in a minute. There is strong argument for the, that there's not a physical altar anywhere found in the New Testament. Every mention of the word altar in the New Testament refers to the Old Testament. Uh, we actually don't find anyone kneeling at an altar in the New Testament. I'm not against it. I'm not preaching that. I'm just telling you that in the New Testament, uh, the altar 
is an idea. It's a concept. The word altar comes from a word that means slaughter or sacrifice. It is a place of sacrifice, whether it's a physical place or it's an idea that we are sacrificing unto the Lord. Well, what is sacrificed on a New Testament altar? Uh, Peter says this, that we're to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Hebrews describes this. He says, let him therefore... Uh, or by him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Brother Pat, you mentioned the fruit of our lips. That is a sacrifice upon an altar. That's why when we come to church, he's talking about the fruit of our lips, giving thanks unto his name. That's why it's important when we come to church, it's not just enough to stand in the house of God. We need to offer a sacrifice of praise because... God is well pleased with the sacrifice of praise when we begin to offer up the fruit of our lips. He, he goes on in Hebrews, it says, Do good and communicate, or I'm sorry, to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. He says, doing good is a sacrifice and to communicate, which literally means to give in offerings and to give to the poor. He says, those are sacrifices with which God is well pleased. Philippians 4 and 18 talks about sacrifice. The Apostle Paul says, I have received the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing unto God. We would call that a missionary offering that was sent to the Apostle Paul. But the greatest sacrifice, I suppose, is found in Romans 12 and 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So, for us, the altar represents praise, it represents worship, thanksgiving, giving of our finances. It represents our death to sin. It represents our death to worldliness, to our own will. It is the place where we die to our own ambitions, our own, our own desires, our own concepts, our own wants. The altar is the offering of ourselves to God. And we can learn from the physical things in the Old Testament spiritual concepts in the New Testament. Now, we're going to go someplace. I realize that, that this is kind of uh, a long introduction. But we can learn by looking at the Old Testament. The great patriarchs and heroes of the faith were altar builders. Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, Gideon, David. They were altar builders. The tabernacle had two altars. One was a brazen altar that was about seven and a half feet long, seven and a half feet wide, and about four and a half feet tall. And they would put sacrifices, or they, would, they would slaughter animals and sacrifice and burn them on that altar. There was a smaller altar where they would burn precious spices and incense. It was only about a foot and a half wide, a foot and a half deep, and about three feet tall. In the temple, there were altars as well, just on a grander scale. In fact, the brazen altar of the temple of Solomon was approximately 30 feet long, 30 feet wide, and 15 feet tall. About the size of the parsonage. That's how big the altar was in Solomon's temple. Uh, but it served the same purpose. But those altars that we usually read about, the altars that Abraham built, that Noah 
even David, they weren't made of brass or gold or wood. They were made of stone. And when the Bible talks about Abraham builded an altar unto the Lord, it wasn't just some off-the-cuff thing that Abraham did. Well, I'll just throw up a little altar here and, uh, and, and have an altar unto the Lord. The altar was built with stones, and it was not an easy process. So if you were going to build an altar, if you're Abraham or Jacob or Isaac, Gideon, and you're going to build an altar, the first thing that you have to do is you have to start gathering stones. There's a picture of an altar on the wall up there. You can kind of see, uh, oh, that, that altar might be three or four feet tall. It might be six or eight feet square. Uh, Brother Tommy, I'm not a stonemason, nor the son of a stonemason. But it looks to me like there's a lot of stones in that altar. It'd be a lot of building. And so Noah, the first thing he did whenever he got off the ark was he built an altar. What did Noah's altar represent? Noah's altar was an altar of thanksgiving. Thank you, God, for sparing me and my family from this awful flood. Thank you for sparing me and my family from destruction. And so while, while I don't know what all could have been on his mind, Brother Pat, what he could have been doing, Noah started to gather stones. Picks up stones. Now, this is just think in your mind. How long would it take to build that altar that's on that screen right there? Take quite a while. It's a lot of bending up. Did anybody in this place have a parent that made you pick up rocks? You do? Huh. We, would, we would go out, Brother Josh, and pick up what my granddad would call field stone. And we'd gather those and, and, and throw them in the bucket of the tractor. I bet Abraham wishes he had a bucket on a tractor. We'd bring them back and, and start to fill in holes in the driveway, fill in holes at the barn, whatever, wherever we were, gather up these. It's hard work. Building an altar is hard work. Abraham built an altar, multiple altars unto the Lord. What did Abraham's altar represent? Well, at one point, Abraham built an altar to get direction from God. At one point, God said to Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, go to Moriah and build an altar unto the Lord and sacrifice your son. We, I've never heard anybody preach on this before. That Abraham, before he laid his son down on that altar to sacrifice him, Abraham had to build the altar to put him on. What did that represent in Abraham's life? It represented calculated commitment. Because over and over again, he would pick up a rock and stack it all the time thinking about what he was going to do when that altar was finally built. We need altars of commitment in our lives. 
calculated commitment. God, I commit myself to you. What does a calculated commitment look like? It looks like coming to work with your work, or coming to church with your work clothes still on. There's three people in here tonight that got off work in time to make it to the house of God. Instead of going home, propping up your feet and watching the live stream, you're in the house of God tonight. That's a commitment. You're, you're building, that's what altar building looks like. It look, man, it looks like being at church 30 minutes early to pray in the prayer room. It looks like getting up an hour before you need to get up to be at church on time, to go warm up a van and take it down, take it to town and pick up some kids and put them on the van and bring them to church. Why? Because I've got a commitment unto the Lord and I'm building an altar. What does altar? It's a commitment unto the Lord. I'm telling you that it's, it should not, we, don't, we can't label living for God as an easy thing. Jesus said that, the, that you have to take up your cross. If any man will be my disciple, let him take up his cross and follow me. And then he goes on this kind of, I don't know if we'd call it a tangent, but he says, what man of you, if you're building a tower, doesn't sit down and count the cost of the tower, lest... You get halfway through building it and you run out of funds and you can't build, you can't complete the tower. He says, so is everybody that will be my disciple. He's given us an understanding that if we're going to be his disciple, it's going to take some work. It's going to cost us something. And if we sell... Please forgive me. If we sell a perverted gospel to the world that says you can come to God and it won't cost you anything, we are lying to people. It will cost us everything to give our lives to God. It is supposed to cost us everything. He said the kingdom of God is likened to a man that found a field that had in it a pearl of great price. I'm sorry, it was a treasure hid in a field. He says there's a treasure hid in the field. And the man goes and he sells everything that he has so he can go purchase the treasure that is in the field. This salvation is the treasure that's in the field. This salvation is the pearl of great price. And it should cost us, it must cost us everything. The altar, and I feel like preaching here for just a minute. The altar where we give ourselves to God, it's a bigger altar than repeat a prayer after me and you're going to miss hell. The altar that we're building unto the Lord has got to be more than live your best life now. It is sacrifice your life to God right now because there's something better than life ahead of us. I'm working up a sweat, building an altar, because it's hard work to build an altar. 
Living for God is not a cruise ship experience. It's a battleship experience. Living for God. We're going to have to build some altars. What does it look like? It looks like teaching a Bible study on your evening off. An altar building is it's a, it's a monthly commitment to missions giving. Or it's getting up early to prepare a Sunday school lesson. Or staying up late to witness to your neighbor. It's fasting unto the Lord with nobody else knowing it and nobody else prodding us so that we can draw closer to Him. It's praying early in the morning or late at night when you could be sleeping. A true altar costs something. David said, I am not going to worship my God at a convenient altar. Now, notice, I'm not preaching this Sunday morning. This is not Sunday morning material. This is Wednesday night. I want to be sanctified and live for God material. Because a true altar costs something. People are going to ask you, why are you building that? It's because I'm trying to draw closer to the Lord. First, Corinthians, First Chronicles, we read it. But David had this understanding. Ornan says, I'll give you the, the threshing floor for free. But David said, grant me this place that I may build an altar unto the Lord. Thou shalt grant it for me for the full price that the plague may be stayed from the people. David had an understanding that God does not respond to discounted altars and convenient sacrifices. I know this is heavy stuff, but we need to walk away with an understanding that I I don't want to live for God. I don't want to try to get a, a, a discount ticket to heaven. I don't want to try to live for God half price. I want to live for Him with all my heart, all my soul, with all my mind, with all my... That's the biblical commandment. It's not, God, how much can, how little can I do and still make it to heaven? If you've got that mentality, you're probably not going to make it. Because He wants all of us. From the beginning, there is a temptation for convenient altars. It's evident that there was a temptation for convenient altars. The first altar probably in Scripture is that of Cain and Abel. Genesis chapter 4, and in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. There's a whole bunch of preach in those three verses, but this is the point that I want to make. The Bible says that Abel was an herdman, but that Cain was a tiller of the ground. In other words, Abel was a rancher, and Cain was a farmer. Abel was a shepherd, and Cain was a gardener. And it says that Abel brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. Firstlings and fat represent, hallelujah, y'all can, if y'all didn't hear that, you missed out. Recover from that. The firstlings and fat 
The firstling means he brought the first earliest born sheep of his flock. In other words, he brought the biggest. And he brought the fat. That represents the best. Because y'all know, Brother Andrew, if you're going to go buy a good steak, you don't get a select. You get a prime steak. Because the fat's the good part. Abel brought the biggest and best and placed on an altar. Cain, it just says he brought some, he, he grabbed a watermelon. I don't know what he grabbed. He, he grabbed a cantaloupe, some cucumbers, maybe pulled a few carrots. He laid those on his altar. And it said, God had respect unto Abel's offering, but he had no respect unto Cain's offering. In other words, God said, if you'll bring me the best and the biggest, I'm going to bless it. But if you just bring me whatever is convenient for you to lay on this altar, I am not going to pay a lick of attention to it. I don't want to live for God out of convenience. Well, I'll come to church when it's convenient for me. I'll give when it's convenient for me. I'll worship when I feel like it. I'll sacrifice if I feel like it. God, help me to give God the biggest and the best. Oh, God, help me. I want to give you the biggest and the best that I have. I want to give you the first. I want to give you the... I don't want to just pray when it's convenient or fast when it's convenient. I want to give God my best. Malachi chapter 1 verse number 7. Man, this is just gut-wrenching stuff. You know, Brother Mark, there's, there's really fun verses in the Bible. Like in the last days, saith God, I'll pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And then, then, then you're in your yearly reading plan and you stumble onto Malachi chapter 1. You get to Malachi, Haggai. It's like they're kicking you in the teeth. Malachi, we could read the whole chapter. We won't. Malachi chapter 1, verse number 7. He says, you offer polluted bread on mine altar. And you say, wherein have we polluted you? In that you say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. Let me try to put that in understandable 21st century English. You have offered bread to me that was unclean. And you've said, what did we do wrong? And I respond to you, you have said that the altar, the, I'm sorry, the table of the Lord is contemptible. In other words, it's not that important. It's not that holy. It's, it's just common. That's what you said by not offering to me your best. Can I go off on a little aside here for just a minute and, and, and go into Bishop Bounds mode? The house of God is sacred. It's not for us to just cut up in and hang out in. If, if the bishop saw you carry a can of Coke through the sanctuary, he'd flip his lid. Why? Because he said, this is the house of God. This is a, this is a holy place. Yeah, I know it's just, it's just wood and stucco and, and carpet, but it's a place that we have hallowed unto the Lord and set aside unto God. Hey, this is not the place to talk about the mountaineers or the stealers or whoever we're going to talk about. This is not the place to talk about all this other junk. This is the place to get close to God. Right. 
He goes on, he says, if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? If you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer now to your governor. He says, you're bringing me lame animals as a sacrifice. You're bringing me sick animals as a sacrifice. Man, hey, let's, let's take this one to God. <laughs> He's going to kick a bucket before long anyway. Let's, let's drag this thing to the altar. It's going to die soon anyway. Take that one that's got a limp. It's probably not going to be worth very much at the stockyards anyway. Let's sacrifice that to God. He says, you're not bringing me your best. He says, try that with your governor. What's your governor do? I'll tell you what your governor does. I'll tell you what the government does. They take theirs out first. But Dennis, before you get that check, Uncle Sam done got it. And at the end of the year, if he took out too much, if you'll file enough paperwork, he'll give it back to you. That was funny. God says, try that stuff with your governor. Trying to cut corners. Be sure your sins will find you out. Try that. He says, but you're offering me the lame and you're offering me the sick. And you, accept, you, you expect me to accept that. And now I pray you beseech God that he'll be gracious unto us. Verse number 10. Who is there even among you that would shut the doors for naught? Neither do you kindle fire on mine altar for naught. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts, neither will I accept an offering at your hand. Let me read that to you in a different translation because it's much clearer. In the New Living Translation, God says, How I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so that these worthless sacrifices could not be altered or could not be offered. I am not pleased with you, and I will not accept your offerings. God said, if you're not going to give me the best, I wish you'd just close the doors and ignore me. Yeah, that's, that's tough stuff right there, I think Brother Josh just said. When we come into the house of the Lord to offer spiritual sacrifices unto God, we ought to give Him the best that we are capable of. Uh, he goes on, he says, You've said it, what a weariness it is. You've snuffed at it. Or you have, you have uh, uh, sighed at it. And you brought that which was torn and lame and sick. And, and you brought that offering. Should I accept this at your hand, saith the Lord? We... Whenever we are anything that we do to live for God, we better never say we're just going through the motions. We better never, Brother Lanham, just go through the motions. I, I just have this personal belief that every time that we come together, whether it's prayer meeting or it's Bible study or it's midweek service or it's Sunday morning, Sunday night, whenever it is, I believe God's worthy of I, I, I didn't come here tonight, God, to offer on a convenient altar. I've come to build an altar unto the Lord. And if that costs me some effort, if it costs me to have to sweat a little bit, if my feet are a little tired because I worked all day, I still want to offer it unto you. Because he says, if you're just coming here, putting a, a, a half-price offering on my altar, I wish you hadn't come at all. Let's just shut the doors and go... I know this is tough, but I'm just reading to you out of the Word of God. God set us on fire. Yes. 
See, because flesh is supposed to be consumed on the altar. See, so, so Noah built this altar, or Abraham built this altar, and, and after they laid all the stones, he would go out for the lanham, and he would have to gather up wood. Because he's going to burn a sacrifice. If you're going to burn a sacrifice, you've got to have some wood, and you have to build a fire. If you want to get revelation on fire, talk to Brother Jeff Jarrett. He's got revelation on building a fire, putting wood on the fire. He'll preach to you for a while. You'll be fired up. So he, he puts this wood on the altar because the purpose of the altar is to consume the flesh. The fire consumes the flesh. That should happen in our lives. We are to continually come to an altar. Let us therefore offer our bodies unto the Lord, a living sacrifice unto God. Why is it a living sacrifice? Because we're going to lay on this altar today and we're going to ask God to let His fire consume flesh out of us. Brother Pat, we need God to consume negative thoughts out of our head because it's carnality. We need God to consume negative language out of our mouth because it's carnality. We need God to consume the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life out of us. I'm preaching to the church today. And as long as you're walking in shoe leather, you're going to contend with the flesh. The antidote to the flesh is the fire from off the altar. But God only sends the fire if we'll lay our flesh on the altar. God, I, now I understand. Now watch, 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 watch. We come to an altar. You're a sinner. How many was ever a sinner? Only half. <laughs> Here's a question for you How many's not sinners? I wish everybody in the building would have raised your hand. Okay, I'm not going to go down that trail. You once were servants of sin. But Paul said, when you die, you're no longer the servant of sin, but you arise and now you're the servant of righteousness. Yield your members as servants of righteousness, no longer servants of sin. When we come to God initially, how many ask God to forgive you of sin? God, forgive me of sin. That happens sometimes at an altar. But what's got to be thrown on the altar is not your sin, but your sinfulness. God, forgive me for all the nasty stuff I said. But I'm throwing myself on this altar and I'm asking you to burn out of me the propensity to say nasty stuff. God, forgive me of adultery, but I'm throwing this adulterer on the altar. Burn that out of me. See, there's something on us that's supposed to die and the fire of God consumes it so it's no longer there. 
God, forgive me for things that I looked at that I shouldn't have looked at. Now, God, I'm laying that behavior on this altar. Let your fire consume those desires out of me. God, forgive me for lying to people. Burn up a lying spirit out of me. Are y'all picking up what I'm putting down here? We've got to ask God to consume out of us with his fire. We can come to church and we can clap. unto my God something that costs me nothing he said I'm going to lay wood out here that I paid for I'm going to pay for an oxen I'm going to lay that oxen on there and I am going to start a fire but God said I am going to consume that sacrifice because it costs you something And if we will have the attitude that God, I am going to live for you, not out of convenience, not in a discounted way, but I am going to offer myself to you, then it's not just our fire, Brother Tommy, but the fire of God falls on us. That's what we have to have. If all we have is our fire, God says, just go ahead and close the doors. But if we will lay ourselves on an altar, if we will sacrifice our ambitions, if we'll sacrifice our comfort, if we will sacrifice our carnality, God says, now I can consume you with my holy fire. We've got to have the fire. If we have empty worship, he'll leave. But if we'll bring a sacrifice, he will send the fire. Let's stand to our feet tonight. God... God, tonight, Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us if we are cutting corners with you. God, I pray that you'll reveal to us if we are at all bringing you sacrifice out of convenience or discounted worship, discounted praise, discounted dedication. God, I pray that you'll reveal it to us and then empower us to lay those things on your altar so that your fire can fall on us. Jesus. I think they're going to play something. Why don't we just find a place to pray? I know this has been atypical. This has been different. But there's a deceptive appeal to a convenient altar. Elijah! Before the fire falls, you're going to have to rebuild the altar of the Lord that's been broken down. You're going to have to gather up 12 stones to represent the tribes of Israel. You're going to have to go find barrels and barrels of water in the middle of a drought. And you're going to have to pour them out on the sacrifice. You're going to have to do something that costs you dearly. But when you do, there's going to be a fire that falls that that consumes the sacrifice, it consumes the water, it consumes the stones. When we sacrifice unto God, God, I don't want to live for you and try to do so in a discounted manner. Oh God, I thank you. Oh God, I thank you. God, I pray right now 
that you will help us. Give us a desire for more of you. Give us a desire for the fire of God. Give us a passion to lay things on your altar that will cost us something. It might mean praying and saying, God, if I can't be consistently in the house of the Lord, then give me another job, even if it means I have to take a pay cut. God, whatever you got to do to save my family, I pray that you'll do it. Whatever I've got to sacrifice, Lord, I pray you'll direct me. I need your fire in my family. I need your fire in my church. I need your fire in my life. You can't only fast when the pastor calls a fast. You can't only pray whenever it's prayer night. God help us.